Hey guys, it's Brendan Morrison here, former Vancouver Canuck. Stay tuned, I'm coming up on the You Only Touch Greatness podcast. Looking for the most beers on tap, great steaks, great staff? Head over to the John B. Pub. We got the best beers, steaks, chicken wings, nachos in town. Come see us at the John B. Pub. The John B. Pub, the best bar in town. Come sign up for our football pool. Say hey, sent you. The number one sports podcast in Vancouver with Ryan Hayes and Big Mike. Ryan Hayes and Big Mike are taking over the podcast scene in Vancouver. Get down or lay down. Overtime game in Canuck playoff history. Morrison comes right out of bed. Morrison scores. Brendan Morrison, a silencer, and we will have Game Seven. Uh, so Brendan, uh, born in Pitt Meadows, uh, what was childhood like, and uh, when did you start playing hockey, and uh, when did you end up making the move to Penticton? So I, yeah, grew up in Pimetto. It's a great spot to grow up, a small town. It's frozen again, Brendan. <laughs> I don't know if he can hear us, but it's frozen, Brendan. It's been my first year of playing organized hockey and, and played there uh, – right through my first year midget until I was 16. And then from there, uh, moved to Penticton and, and played uh, for the Penticton Panthers at the time in, in the early 90s. And then uh, from there, obviously, from the BC Junior Hockey League, you ended up going to uh, play for the Michigan Wolverines and uh, becoming a national champion and also Hobie winner. Uh, what was it like uh, heading there and what was your time like in Michigan? Yeah, so I, I was in Penticton one year and it was, it, it was a pretty uh, – Pretty crazy year. I, I, I ended up getting a scholarship, like you mentioned, to Michigan, University of Michigan Wolverines, and, and was drafted that same year, too, um, while playing for Penticton. So in my time in Michigan was unbelievable. It really was. Uh, you know, to this day, some of my closest friends are guys that I came into school with. We had a class of, 
of nine freshmen. And it's funny, we got a big group text going. We, we chat almost daily on that text. And, and man, it's been a while since we've been in school. So great group of guys. Awesome program. Like uh, Red Berenson was a coach. I learned a lot from him. You know, he's a father figure to a lot of us on, on the team over the years. And we had a lot of, a lot of success. We, we had a chance to win it every year I was there. And we won it my junior year. And uh, I think my senior year, we actually had a much better team, but we didn't get it done. We lost to BU in the semifinals. But just an amazing experience going to that school. And uh, it's funny you say that, and I could be off by a couple of years, but uh, Mike Legg, a teammate of yours while you were there? We came in the same time. We were freshmen together, but obviously Mike grew up in London, Ontario. And, uh, but yeah, we, we were uh, teammates for four years. Pretty sure he lives oh, in Pitt Meadows or Maple Ridge now. He does. I know. His whole family moved out west from, uh, from Ontario. But yeah, I'm still in touch with Lager as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we, that name always comes to mind. We think of the new goal. Obviously, everyone's scoring nowadays, but uh, he kind of started that goal, the Michigan goal. Dude, like how you know you've made a big time when they actually have a goal basically named after you in a video game, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. I'm always out there at practice trying to pull it off and stuff. And he's one guy we've been trying to find a way to contact. So that's pretty cool. Dude, well, I might have an in. I might have yeah, an I, in. I know. I, I think so. I might have to grease you up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so tell me – go ahead, Ryan. Okay, I was going to hit one. You hit the stat. Um, if you were having a dream party and you could invite three famous people that are alive, who are you bringing? Wow. <laughs> wow. What a, what a question. Oh, man. I got to think back to some historical figures here. Jeez, uh, that's a tough one, boys. I mean, obviously there's – there's hockey guys that come to mind right away, right? Um, guys who I haven't met, uh, I think, you know, a guy that comes to mind would be like Gordy Howe, right? Yeah. Mr. Hockey, you know, just to get his perspective from all the different generations that he played. I mean, if you think about it, it's absolutely incredible. Like, to play a pro hockey game at the age of 52 years old, like, <laughs> I'm 45 and I feel like I'm in – decent shape in that you know i still try and stay on top of it but i could can't even imagine going back on the ice and playing a game he's playing at 52 like that's that's ridiculous stuff so i'd have to put him up there being a sports guy obviously um oh some historical figures oh geez. for example i always go with uh tupac seth rogan <laughs> seth rogan would be awesome to sit down and have dinner and tell jokes with and then hulk hogan Oh, the Hulks are, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could tell some stories. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, like, gosh, I'm going to go way back. I actually read a really cool, uh, this cool series of, of, of books um, way back when, uh, a couple years ago, but it had a really good account of like Genghis Khan, man, and, and how the Mongols and that were, were conquering uh, parts of, of Europe and, and, and et cetera, and, and just how he built that empire. I don't know why I'm even thinking about that right now, but I just love the books. They were so interesting, you know? And yeah. uh, so I, I would say like a historical figure like him. And then he, I think you got to throw in like a president, right? Um, yeah. You know, now, who is that guy? I, I don't know. Um, 
you know, there's obviously been a lot of uh, interesting times over the course of history where presidents have had to make some pretty important decisions as far as like entering into wars and things like that. And I guess to understand their perspective on these things would be pretty cool. I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, yeah. but, uh, but I think that would be interesting. For sure. And then uh, taking you back to uh, 1993 when you were drafted 39th overall to the New Jersey Devils. And uh, did you know they were interested? And did you know you were going there, basically? Or? Well, I, I didn't. I actually had met with uh, probably about a, a dozen teams uh, towards the end of that season there where scouts would come in and, you know, take you out for lunch and ask you questions. And then closer to the draft, uh, I would interview with teams and uh, – you know, it was kind of a bizarre process. Like you'd go in and there'd be a couple guys there and, and, and they would show you like these abstract uh, drawings or paintings and get you to stare at these things and ask you like, what do you see in this picture? And you're like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, my mind, well, what do you want me to see here? <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> crazy stuff like that, you know? So a little bit of a psychological assessment, I think, but uh, I knew Jersey was interested. Um, but I, I didn't know how it was going to shake out. I, I had a lot of talk with Washington too. And it was funny. They had a pick in the first round, 17th overall, I believe the pick was or right around that anyways. And they went up and announced their pick and they announced the guy's name was Brendan. I'm like, no, really? But it was Brendan Witt, a defenseman. So, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I was happy to go to Jersey, man. Like at that time, they, they, uh, their franchise had uh, was winning a lot. And I remember going into my first training camp there and you walk in and there's Scott Stevens, there's, you know, uh, Ken Danico, there's Scott Niedemeyer, there's Martin Brodeur, there's Doug Gilmore, there's Dave Andrichuk, like all these guys are in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, you're just a wide-eyed kid and, and it, it's, it's, it takes a while to adjust to it. It definitely does. Or it did for me at first, because, you know, these are guys you're watching on TV, you know, every, every night or every, you know, Saturday night. And then all of a sudden you're in the locker room with them and, you know, you're, you're kind of competing against them every day when you're on the ice. So it was, uh, it's a little bit surreal. Yeah, and then now uh, big day for Canucks fans, obviously when you got that uh, trade here uh, for Alexander McGillney, uh, bring us back to that day. Man, it was a crazy story. Like, uh, my, my brother-in-law is Daryl Ray, who does uh, was a goaltender, played in Hartford, played in Edmonton for a bit. He's been the color commentator for the Dallas Stars for over 20 years now and does a, does a tremendous job. Anyways, Dallas, I think, was playing in somewhere in New York. I don't know if it was the Islanders, Rangers, or, or – and, um, and so I was out for lunch with him, and, and at the time it was my uh, girlfriend, or she might have been fiancé, and uh, – her sister. So the four of us were at lunch. Daryl's got to hop on a phone call with the fan out of uh, Toronto to commentate or, or get his comments on a few trades that had gone down. And we're getting real tight up against the three o'clock Eastern deadline. And I knew my name had been out there a little bit and I'd actually talked to the devils and had asked for a trade, but just because you ask doesn't mean it's ever going to happen. But anyways, uh, Daryl's about to hop off the phone. It's about two fifty nine. And uh, he just says to the guys, hey, has anything else come across the wire? They're like, uh, hold on, there's something coming out right now. So they say, uh, yeah, Vancouver just traded uh, Mogilny to the Devils for Morrison and Peterson. And my brother-in-law's like, really? 
He's like, well, I'm having lunch with him. I'll tell him right now. So he hangs out the phone. He's like, I think you just got traded to Vancouver. I'm like, no way. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, they just told me. So like an hour goes by before I get official word. I pull back into my driveway at four o'clock Eastern time in, uh, in uh, New Jersey. And it's the uh, secretary from the devils saying that Lou wants to speak to you. Well, I already know what's happened, right? <laughs> but I don't think he knows that I know. But um, so that was interesting for sure. But, you know, I was super excited to, to be able to have the opportunity to come, come back to Vancouver and, and really join the team at a time when they had a good young core of guys and they were just kind of starting to trend upwards. So it, it, was, uh, it was perfect timing for me personally. Do you have a favorite sports movie? Oh man, uh, I I got I got to go with Slapshot, man. That's, that's oh that's, yeah. It's funny. I'll tell you a quick side note about Slapshot. So when I was in college, um, Jim Harbaugh, who's obviously yeah. uh, at Michigan coaching now, but was coaching in the NFL, was playing in the NFL at the time as a quarterback. He hold he held a uh, a golf tournament, their celebrity golf tournament, and I lived with uh, three other hockey players. Uh, Jason Bottle, who's now the assistant GM with the Kraken. Kraken, yeah. Yeah. Warren Looning, who uh, was drafted by the Islanders, played a little bit with the Islanders and, and, and the Dallas Stars. And Blake Sloan, who won a Stanley Cup with, uh, with Dallas and, and played in Calgary and Columbus. Anyways, we had one other roommate who was helping Harbaugh organize the, the, the tournament. And we were supposed to go out that night and, and meet up with everybody. He's like, guys, don't leave until I, got back. I get back. I got to go do a, uh, an airport pickup. And uh, I want to bring, I want to stop by the house before we go out for the, for the get together. So we're like, all right, like what's going on? It's like, I, I can't tell you guys, but just, just don't leave. So we wait, like an hour goes by, all of a sudden he pulls up. No kidding. He's got all three Hanson brothers. And that was his pickup at the airport, the Hanson brothers. So he brought him into our college house. And we got all these awesome pictures of them putting us headlocks and we got those guys to sign our walls in, in college. And, you know, that was a big deal for us in college for those guys to come there. And it was pretty cool, man. That is pretty sweet. Not many people can say that. No, it was awesome. Great surprise. That's a good thing. What about, uh, do you have a favorite piece of memorabilia that you've ever had collected? Huh? Like I, I was a big, I was a big card collector when I was a kid, like in elementary school and that, you know, always at recess and lunch, you know, playing like whether it was, you know, knock down where you stand a card up and try and knock it down. I don't know if this, that's, that was before your guys' time or not, or, you know, you nope. I'm 38. I got, I, okay. it was around my time. Not a bit of it. Yeah. You know, like chuck cards to see who could throw it the farthest and you'd win all the other ones. But anyways, I, I got a pretty cool card. I do have a Gretzky rookie card. Now, I wish I could tell you it was like a PSA 10, but it's not. But it's, it's in <laughs> decent shape. I got a Gretzky rookie card. Um, I guess personal memorabilia would be uh, a Hobie Baker trophy is a pretty cool, like, uh, you know, bronze statue, um, really, really be beautiful piece of art. And then probably from my, my playing days in NHL, I, I would say uh, my first goal puck was uh, my first game in New Jersey uh, in Pittsburgh at the old Igloo against Tom Barrasso in the second period, my first shot on that in NHL. So that was pretty cool. That's pretty unique too. That's awesome. I got, I got, uh, I got you on the wall here. Yeah, too. I, I was going to touch with that. 
Oh, Can you see it? All right, yeah, yeah, you guys. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I got that done. Uh, I got that done with you and Bert at the last uh, at that hockey fight. So almost right, right. Well, well, well played. Well, well played with the, their um, a little camera yeah. drop there. Hands. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a phone drop. Is, is a lacrosse player? He doesn't have the hand skills of us good hockey players. Hands like feet. Yeah. Shoot, exactly. <laughs> right. sure, Mike. Uh, yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about playing with the West Coast Express. Then, and while we're on that topic, and uh, in my eyes, probably the best line ever for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's uh, you know, like I said, I got to Vancouver at a time when we had a good group of young players that were all, you know, a lot of us had been, had been traded there. Like Bert was traded there. Nazi was traded there. Jobo was traded there. Klutz was traded there. Like Matias was drafted there, but you know, the list kind of goes on. Um, you know, obviously we had the Sedins early on too. And, um, and I think a lot of guys had a bit of uh, something to prove, you know, like once you get moved off a team, you know, it kind of motivates you in a sense that you want to go out and prove to the team that moved you like, Hey, you know, this is, this is what I'm capable of doing. So when I got into Vancouver, um, Andrew Castles was, was kind of the guy that was playing with Bird and Nazi and, and Castles was a great guy, a good teammate, really smart hockey player, tremendous uh, playmaking ability. And so he, he basically my, my first two years there were, were pretty much, you know, him playing with that line and I would bounce around a little bit playing with, you know, uh, Peter Schaefer a fair amount, Matt Cook a fair amount. Um, and then I got an opportunity one time. We went through a bit of a stretch where our team is, was struggling for like a week or 10 days. And I remember walking into Joe Lewis Arena for the pregame skate and you walk in and, and the, the lineup's always written on the, on the whiteboard when you walk in in the morning. And I kind of glanced at it and I did a double take and I saw my name at, in between Burt's and Nazis. And, uh, you know, I, I was excited, you know, I, I, I wanted that opportunity. I wanted that challenge of, of being able to see if I could play with those guys in my mind. I, I thought I could do it. I believed I could do it. Now you just need the opportunity and like anything in life, it's what do you make of that opportunity? So that night, I think we ended up tying the game and, and our line had, had two goals and then uh, we stayed together after that. Next game, I think we had three goals. We just kind of clicked right away. It was, uh, was an interesting dynamic. You know, we, we, um, you know obviously, Nazi was kind of the pure goal scorer, but very underrated playmaking ability. Uh, Bert was at that time, you know, the most dominant power forward in the game. A big man, uh, physical, opened up ice that way, uh, could score goals and, and can move the puck. And then I think me, with my creativity as well, I had speed, would, uh, would keep D-man honest. I think my playmaking ability and, and also just my attention to detail defensively, you know, I, I, I think helped uh, those guys do their thing. So it was a great time in, in my career and um, to be able to do it at home, essentially, in, in, in the city where I grew up and yeah. have a fair amount of success with these guys and uh, really just have a lot of fun. Like our, our teams in the early, mid-2000s, I think we're a very entertaining team to watch. Like we were never out of a game. Even if we got behind a couple goals, like we were exciting. Right. And uh, we could score in bunches and it, it just was a lot of fun playing, playing with those guys and, and that group of guys through my time in Vancouver. Can you tell us a good Kluche story? 
I mean, he's I all I my favorite memory of Cluche. I mean, my least favorite, of course, is the goal from center. But we're not going to get into that. My favorite move, my favorite Cluche story is when he was hammering Tommy Sallow with like thirty <laughs> shots in a row during the. <laughs> He had the jackhammer going. He had the yeah. going. Yeah, those, I mean, Klutz, he kind of got that out of his system. Well, I wouldn't say got it out of his system before he came to Van because he was always, like, when he put his gear on and stepped on the ice, it's like the switch just flipped, man. Like in the locker room, he had a, a totally different demeanor, like very laid back, um, approachable, like a lot of goalies you can't talk to on game day and leave me alone. But Klutz was always in there with the boys, always, you know, throwing barbs, taking barbs. But once he stepped on the ice, man, like he was possessed out there and uh, ultra, ultra competitive. And, and we love that from him as, as his teammate. And I know there's a couple of times he, he came close to snapping there in Vancouver, but uh, I mean, Klutz was kind of, he was underrated funny, man. Like he, a lot of great stories of him just, you know, quick witted in, in the locker room and that, but uh yeah, he uh, he definitely he definitely commanded respect. That's for sure. And then uh, you kind of got to transition and see uh, the Sedin started excelling uh, at the beginning of their careers here. And uh, what was that like? Well, it was interesting because I, I got traded in, in uh, on the deadline there, March of two thousand. So I played eleven games with Vancouver, and then the season ended. And then the next year, my first full season was the Sedin's full season. So we actually had training camp in Stockholm that year where we, uh, we traveled over to Stockholm with 25 guys. So we essentially had our team picked before camp started. We had to make a couple cuts, but we knew pretty much who was going to be on the team. But it, that, that was a great camp as far as team building. Ten days in Stockholm, um, you know, team building off the ice <laughs> – and uh, we worked hard in camp, you know, we, uh, and, and that was the first time we got to see Daniel Henrik. And we'd heard so much about them, obviously, you know, how prolific they'd been, you know, their entire lives and then growing up and playing in the Swedish Elite League and expectations were huge. And you could tell right away how talented these guys were, but physically and mentally, I don't, well, mentally they were strong, but physically they weren't where they needed to be right away. They, um, they just weren't, I mean, and, and they'll be the first ones to tell you that. So it took them a, a couple of years to, to figure that out. And, uh, but they deserve everything they've accomplished, all the accolades. I mean, these are two guys that are phenomenal hockey players, but if you can imagine even better people off the ice, yeah, like these guys just work, man. They just put their nose down and work. You know, imagine how difficult the first couple of years was, you know, how they were treated a lot of times in the press, you know, fans. And I don't care what anybody says. I mean, that, that you hear it and it, it gets to you at times. But these guys were just, we're going to work harder. We're going to work harder. And, and that's what they did. And, um, you know, they're so competitive, man. Like anything they do, whether it's for pregame soccer, warming up or juggling a ball, playing cards on the plane. Like these guys cannot stand losing. And, and that's why they, they had uh, such phenomenal careers is because of their, you know, uh, compete level and their, um, their, uh, they're just how much they, they don't like losing and, and, and not being successful. So who's a better fisherman, you or Willie Mitchell? 
<laughs> well, Willie's a good fisherman. He's a very good fisherman. I, he's he's been doing it longer than me. I will say that he's he's probably got he's probably got the edge on me just because he has a little bit more experience doing it from a young age over on the island. I didn't get into fishing until a little bit later in my teens, early twenties. Um, I might be a little bit more versatile as far as uh, the fishing I've been able to do is as far as traveling since to some different spots, but he's a great salmon fishing fisherman. And now he's got tuna fishing dialed in on the West coast. Like I think he might be the best sport tuna fisherman on the West coast. Um, he has the ability to cover so much ground in his boat, man, and, and he gets it done. So uh, we have a lot of fun when we go out together. I saw one of his posts, I think it was a couple of weeks back now, uh, maybe it could be called months back, but you and him uh, with the absolute hog there, like that was a monster. I think it's on your Instagram. Yeah, we, we actually, we, we were filming an episode for, uh, for Real West Coast, the fishing show I host in Tofino here three weeks ago. And uh, so Willie came on on the boat for a day and, and yeah, we had an awesome day. It was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, is that where you stay now? I thought you were in Calgary perhaps yeah well my family's had a place in Tofino for the last 16 okay. years I've been going over there as a kid since basically my mom was pregnant walking around hiking there's pictures of me in her stomach but um I try to spend a lot of time in Tofino as much as I can in the summertime it's difficult I got four kids and and yeah. two are moving on to university this year and but uh you know sports as they get older it kind of spills over into the summer but uh, we we get out there for a amount I, uh, I, watched a, I watched a bit of your salmon frenzy one, uh, hammering some Chinook uh, that you posted just recently. And uh, I, I like to see the green flasher is still the go-to. <laughs> it always gets the job done with Chinook, that green flasher, that chartreuse color. They like that. Yeah, I was just up in Campbell River like uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I didn't end up getting out fishing this time, but I've been going since I was a kid. So my family owned a, family friends own a place up there. So it's just constant fishing we go usually. Cool. Yeah, Campbell River is that really turned on here the last couple of years. Fishing's got much, uh, really good. It has, it has. If there was a $100,000 prize on the line and you had to sing one karaoke song, what song are you choosing? <laughs> I'm singing that uh, nitty gritty dirt band, Fishing in the Dark. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. <laughs> uh, any pre-game rituals or routines that you had? I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call myself superstitious, but I, I did, I have, I had a routine, right? Like I would, you know, I would, uh, kind obviously getting dressed, always got dressed the same way. I always put like my left shin pad on before my right one. I, I always put my left skate on before my right one. Um, the same thing that like kind of taking my skates off, I'd always take my left side before my right side. No other reason than that's just how I've done it my whole life. Um, you know, pregame meals, I'd always try to eat pretty much the same thing. I would always nap and, and set my alarm to get up at the same time and try to leave the house at the same time. So I guess you could call them superstitions, but, you know, if I was a minute off, I wouldn't be in shambles and, and my night would be ruined. I would just have, you know, a routine and I would try to stick as closely to it as possible. That sounds about right. I, I'm out there doing that at Beer League. I like to be there at least two, I, I like to say an hour and a half before game times. I like to shoot the shit with the boys. I like to be fully dressed about 20 minutes before a game so you can just sit there, 
usually it's beer league. So that's when you crush your beer. <laughs> and getting dressed, like for me, I was always one of the last guys into the locker room with my gear on. I couldn't stand sitting in my stall with all my gear on and just, just kind of waiting for it. Like I would be in the gym doing my warm up, and I would come in every time on the clock, there'd be like uh, 12 minutes before we stepped on the ice. So I'd come in pretty much everybody was dressed or halfway dressed. I'd just fire my gear on and go where some guys, like I remember Soapy, like Brent Sopel, he'd be in a stall, like dressed an hour before the game. So it's funny how guys are different. Uh, I always <laughs> like to be the first person in so I can take the end bench, the end <laughs> spot. So there's only one person on one side of me. Cause he's a germaphobe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I know. That's one benefit of being in the NHL. You got your own stall. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Really, you don't want any nothing falling in my beers next to my thing. Uh, what's your favorite? What's the favorite road barn you ever played in? Oh, I, I'd, I'd pick a couple of them. I would say, um, I like going back and playing at the old Joe Lewis Arena. Probably part of, partly because. I played at Michigan and we'd have a couple games there over the course of my collegiate season and we, and just had good memories being in that rink. Um, Madison Square Garden, you know, super cool arena. When you're walking out to the, to the ice arena, down the hallways, you got all these pictures on both sides of you of all the entertainers that have kind of played that arena over the years. So it's always a kind of a, you know, a fun atmosphere there. And then I, I always like playing in Montreal at, uh, at the Bell Centre. You know, just uh, good buzz all the time there. And, and most times we played there, especially in Vancouver, it was a Saturday night hockey night in Canada game. So just a little bit of extra excitement. And then, you know, for me playing at, at home there at, uh, at um, you know, Rogers Arena, right? GM Place when, when yeah. I played there. Um, you know, we we had awesome fans. Like we, again, we talked about like you know when I arrived in Vancouver and the team was kind of trending upwards. Like I think we sold out every game for like nine years. I mean, that's yeah. you know, right. Like that's pretty cool to be able to play in front of a packed house every night. Like just very lucky to be there during that period of time. And uh, you were lucky enough by to represent Canada on uh, numerous occasions, uh, winning gold at the World Championship. What was that like? Yeah, it was a good experience. My, the first time I ever went over there would have been in 99, uh, 2000, actually. And uh, to St. Petersburg, we came fourth. And then in 2004, we were in, uh, we were in Prague, and we ended up winning the gold medal there. We beat the Swedes in the final. It, yeah, it was cool. Like, uh, you know, it's one of those things when it's, it's bittersweet in a sense because basically it means you're knocked out of the playoffs, right? And, yep. and so you're available to go. But when you get that phone call, for me, it was, it was an honor. And, you know, the opportunity to, rep your country, to represent your country doesn't come along every day, and it doesn't last forever. There's only a finite number of years that you have that opportunity. So to get over there and do that and win that gold medal was, was a great experience. And, and then the following year in 05, the lockout year, we, we were in um, – we had our round robin in Innsbruck, and then we had the finals in Vienna – and we beat the Russians in, in, uh, in the semis, and we lost to the Czechs in the final. I think Hashik shut us out, I think, or we lost 2-1. It was a tight game. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's a fun time, you know. It's, um, you get to meet other guys 
from around the league, you know, a lot of guys you cross paths with and, and you know kind of each other, but it's, uh, it's a pretty relaxed atmosphere. The first like week or 10 days that you're over there, a lot of team bonding again, and then you really buckle down when uh, the elimination round starts. What, what is one lesson you learned from your days as a professional athlete? Well, I, I think, um, you know, just how to carry yourself as an individual, right? Um, uh, I think professionalism, there's a bunch of words that kind of, um, you know, fall under that. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, uh, it's your preparation, right? Your, your work ethic and, and putting, putting the effort in to, to, to be ready, your it's accountability, right? It, it's, uh, you know, showing up on time, it's being respectful of, 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 you know, the job that you have to do, but you're also respecting your teammates and what their roles are. But I, I think just, uh, you know, those are lessons that you carry with you for, for the rest of your life. And you try to instill those on the people that you hang around, your family, your kids. And, you know, if, if you're, if you, if you work hard and, and you're prepared, it's like, uh, then, then, you'll be ready for your opportunities, right? So that's the main thing. Don't, don't put yourself in a situation that you don't feel like you're prepared or ready for, for an opportunity that comes along. Make sure that you've done everything possible that you, that's in your control to be ready for any opportunity that comes along. I think that's what your kids are uh, definitely doing along the way here. Uh, heading to, uh, obviously, a huge school next year in the NCAA and uh, hopefully get a chance uh, cracking a professional contract someday here soon. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, when you, it's, uh, it makes you realize how quickly time goes by. That's one thing. But yeah, my, my son is, he's a, he's a cerebral player. He's a smart player. He's got an opportunity here. Um, he's going in as a freshman to University of Wisconsin, which is a tremendous school. Um, you know, a big, a big, big 10 rival of my alma mater, Michigan. <laughs> I, told him, I, I told him it's going to be very difficult for me to pull on anything red and white. But uh, <laughs> I'll do it for my kid. So, he said uh, you guys, he, 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 or yeah, he told us you, you guys were going at it. Uh, he was, you were busting his chops a little bit about uh, not going to Michigan. Well, I had to, right? I had yeah. to. And, and he had the opportunity. He, 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 you know, he kind of narrowed it down to Wisconsin and Michigan. And, and I'll give him credit. You know, he was very methodical in, his, uh, in the process. And at the end of the day, he just, he just said – and he grew up a Michigan fan. Like he, we've been back there. He loves it. Um, but he just said he wanted to kind of carve his own path. And I totally respect that and get it. And uh, it'll be exciting to see, you know, how he develops over these four years. Yeah. yeah he's a great player and a great kid. Uh, obviously we had him on the show and uh, super nice kid. That's for sure. You definitely uh, raised a good one. Well, thank you. Uh, 601 NHL points in 934 games. Uh, what do you think uh, helped you have such, such a successful career? Well, I, I think a lot of it is, is um, situation you're in again. You know, I, I, like it's, it was interesting. Like when I came out of college originally, um, being in New Jersey system, you know, I, I played pretty much my first year pro in Albany. But in my mind, I felt, listen, I'm ready to step in right away because other guys I had played against in college – because they were with different organizations, were playing right away. So, you know, I was a little bit frustrated right away, but in the big picture, 
you know, I think that first year of, of, of in playing in the minors, you know, did help me in the long run. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot playing in Albany and being in New Jersey system. Like we talked about being a professional and, and I don't know if there's anybody more professional than, than uh, Lamorello. And, uh, but, you know, coming to Vancouver, just being in the situation, you know, obviously playing with Nazi and Bert, but, um, you know, I just kind of felt everywhere I went that my whole life I'd put up numbers, put up points, um, you know, right from the time I started playing. And, uh, you know, I, I think just, you know, being out on power plays and, and playing in situations where a team needs a goal. I mean, when you get in those situations and, and you're able to show that you can do it, then you're given that opportunity more and more. And, and that's probably what contributed to those numbers. So describe the qualities you believe a good coach must have. Like, I know, like we all loved Crawford. I don't know, but that we saw that from a fan's perspective. And I know he got in a little bit of trouble, but what was, what, like, what do you think a good coach is like? And was, what are your thoughts on Crawford? Well, I think as a, from a player standpoint, you, you want somebody who's going to be honest and transparent, right? That's the biggest thing. A lot of times guys, you know, and I've experienced that, is they, they don't want to tell you exactly how they see things at time and they massage it and then you don't really know where you stand or you're questioning why is this happening. I mean, you might not want to or might not like what your coach has to tell you, but at least he's being honest and, and you know where you stand and you can figure out what you need to do to correct it. So I think those things for me, and that's one reason why I, I always appreciated Brian Burke was there was no gray. It was black and white and you might not like it, but again, you know exactly where you stood. And, and Crow for me, you know, he, uh, he, he was good for me personally. I mean, he challenged me a lot. I was, I'm sure you talked to a lot of guys on the team. I was kind of the, I don't know, whipping boy might be a little bit hard, but I would be the guy that he would single out a lot of times to motivate the team. And and I firmly believe it's because of my demeanor. You know, it wasn't anything that I would carry with me or, you know, uh, it would be a burden or it would affect me. It was, I had a, I've got a pretty easy demeanor, a pretty easy going guy. I would use it as motivation. It would fire me up more. So for me, he was good. He gave me opportunities. And uh, as a player, opportunity is all you can ask for. Absolutely. And that's what happens sometimes. People just don't get their opportunities. Well, uh, yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, sometimes it's – sometimes you're, you're waiting for it. But sometimes you gotta, you got to prove that you deserve it, right? So it's kind of two ways to look at it. But, yeah, I mean, any player at the end of the day, I mean – Prove you deserve it, and then when it comes, take advantage of it. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, the real West Coast? Well, we, uh, you know, we, we, we were hard on each other, man. Like, we challenged each other a lot. I mean, it's been documented where we would have, uh, you know, full-on arguing matches on the bench, <laughs> you know. And, but I think that's what helped us be successful. Like, if a guy – went a period of time and, and, and didn't score, be like, listen, you need to start bearing down in practice. Like you're just kind of going through the motions a bit. It starts in practice, bear down. It's going to carry over into games, you know? So we would constantly push each other that way. You know, if, if a guy wasn't, 
you know, playing the way he was capable of playing and be like, listen, we've got to get going here. Like, let's go. I mean, you're, you need to get on pucks, move your feet. Okay. Yeah. Shoot the puck when you have an opportunity. So we would always be talking and challenging each other that way. You got a favorite and, pub in town? A favorite pub in town? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> we, everybody, uh, loves, everybody loves the Roxy. <laughs> aka we, we used to call that church are you going to church it was like but you know it was dangerous it was dangerous going to the roxy when you played in vancouver right like obviously pretty high fr- profile place and 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 things like that um yeah but i mean i've been there i've spent some time there it's a fun place a lot of fun they always treat it as great um Man, the city's changed so much since I've been there. Yeah. If I ever open a bar, I'm going to name it the gym. There you go. But, but you spell it – you don't spell it the same as the gym. Like J, I'll spell it J-Y-M, but you can always tell your wife you're heading to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be on to something there. Yeah. Sounds like a yeah. good one. So can you tell us more about your fishing company? Yeah. So I, I fishing has been a passion of mine for a lot of years, even – when I'd go to training camp and that, a lot of guys would bring their golf clubs. I'd bring my fishing rod. And uh, once training camp kind of broke for the day, I'd try to hit a river or, or a lake or whatever, or the ocean. But um, for me, I, I describe it to people. It's just, that's kind of my adrenaline rush. You know, it, it's really difficult to replace playing in front of 20,000 people and and just kind of the, the emotional highs and lows you get doing that. But for me, the fishing has kind of replaced that, I guess. Um, I, I, I like the challenge of it at times. It can be, you know, very technical depending on what kind of fishing you're doing, but it's, uh, it's that bite, like whether you're salmon fishing or trout fishing or marlin fishing or tuna fishing, it's just that initial bite when you see that rod bend. And oh yeah. <laughs> I describe that. I describe that to people. It's like electricity kind of going through your body. Right. That's just a, a surge of adrenaline. And I'm, I just feel like a little kid every time I go and grab the rod, like just a little kid. And the other thing is I find it's a great way to kind of just detach, you know, with, with today's world, like, you know, technology, your phone, your computer, like, man, if you don't return a text message in like 30 seconds, people are like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? I'm like, dude, like, I'm just, give me a minute here. You know, yeah. so for me, that's a bit of a, I, I just, I, I tell people it's kind of like my, my meditation, right. To kind of get away and just kind of, you know, some of the places we go to doesn't, they don't even have cell service and you kind of just immerse yourself in, in, in nature and, and really just take in the adventure of it all. So for me, that's the combination It's kind of the adrenaline still, but you also kind of get that relaxation. Sounds like my date from life where you get one on the line and you're trying to get that first bite. You're trying to reel it in and get it into the boat. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Yeah, it doesn't work. They, they usually break the line before I get them in the boat. <laughs> I like uh, that. Uh, what about, what about favorite sports hero? Sports hero? Uh, I mean, be, Gretzky was my idol growing up. Like, even though I grew up in Vancouver, the Oilers were the powerhouse of the, you know, early mid eighties. And I, I just liked how he played, you know, so selfless and 
and put up huge numbers. It was just entertainment. And then guys like, you know, Steve Eiserman, Joe Sackick, huge fans of those guys. And, and uh, I was very fortunate to play against those guys quite a bit, head to head a lot. So, I mean, that was always a lot of fun for me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those would be guys that kind of come to mind. Did you have a go-to song before games or like a pump up song you'd listen to? Oh man, I got such a diverse, uh, uh, music genre, like everything from like rap music, like a big, like Eminem fan, Dr. Dre, yeah. um, you know, Metallica, ACDC, really, you know, tragically hip, obviously Canadian band. I've really gotten into country music the last few years being in Calgary. So I pretty much listen to everything. One new question we've been trying to use, who's the, who would answer your FaceTime right now on your phone if you called? Who would answer my FaceTime? Yeah, if you had to call somebody, one of your, one of your teammates or something. If you had to, we're not going to get you to do that. <laughs> but who, that's a eventually, good... Uh, eventually, we're trying to get the guy, the guy to call. Well, you know, like like talking from Vancouver, I would say probably uh, Nazi. He uh, he FaceTimed me here with he was out with Matias in Spain here uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a late night call from those guys FaceTime, and it was awesome. So I'm sure if I reciprocated and and called them, they would answer. Um, That's you know, a pretty cool one. Yeah, <laughs> you know what was cool? I was like, so there it was you know, with the time change, it was pretty late for them and they were having a great time in Spain and they're hanging out and their wives were there and they had a couple other buddies and they're sitting there with like a Bjorn Borg's son, man, like legendary tennis player. And, you know, yeah, he's just our buddy. He just comes golfing with us. And so they got a, they got wow. a, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the Kraken and uh, our new rival? I think it's awesome, man. I, I think, uh, I think they got some work cut out for them still with the draft. I don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch of side deals we haven't heard about yet. Um, but love the uniforms, man. Yeah, I, they're sick. Uh, I, I, th I think it's, I think it's going to go well there. You know, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to go well. I, I really do. I mean, they got a great ownership group. Their facility looks out of this world. You know, great, I think it's great really city. Good city. It's going to be attractive for people from uh, Lower Mainland to get across. It's not that far, so I, I think they're going to do a good job there. Yeah, we go to a lot of Seahawks games, so it's nice to have, pull out a. You could end up getting a hockey game. It would be ideal if it was the Canucks on the Friday, Saturday, and then you head to the Seahawks for the Sunday, right? That'd be a great weekend, eh? Yeah, yeah, pretty it good weekend. Be. Yeah. Hey, Brendan, I just want to uh, thank you very much uh, for taking the time for us today and chatting with us. Obviously, we're big fans of you, and uh, we still continue to be big fans of you. Uh, I love watching your highlights on your fishing show now, and appreciate the time. Yeah, and we're you know we're big fans. We're always running up every time we see you here in person, too, <laughs> trying to get a picture with you. Hey, oh, I forgot to tell that story. One time we were at the Heritage Classic game. They, they did their arena Right, the outdoor game at the BC place that you were at, and I caught you in the beer lineup, and I got a video of me hanging off. Oh my God, it's Brandon Morrison! <laughs> I don't drink. I don't drink anymore, but I was shit hammered that day. <laughs> well, boys, I I appreciate uh, you guys reaching out, and I'm glad we could do it. 
I know uh, we've been trying here for a couple weeks, so I thanks for your patience and appreciate the support, man. Like as a, as a player, um, you know, it, 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 it never gets old when I guess people that used to cheer for you, you know, express that appreciation. And I think you appreciate it more as you get older. So uh, it was awesome. Thank you. Looking for the most beers on tap, great steaks, great staff, head over to the John B pub. We got the best beers, steaks, chicken wings, nachos in town. Come see us at the John B pub. The John B. Pub, the best bar in town. Come sign up for our football pool. Say hey, sent you.